our ever-present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later, the Holmes Army proudly presents Trek West 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else they want to talk about. Your hosts for Trek West 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening and welcome to Podcast 152. I am Peter. And I am Joey. Uh, welcome back, everyone. We hope you have enjoyed the new intro. Not sure which one we're going to end up using. Uh, and I still think the random selection of many of them is the best way to go. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a podcast of all of the intros we recorded tonight. <laughs> would be so miserable. People would never listen to us again. <laughs> what did they just put out? Why is that, why are they not talking about anything? Why do they just keep introducing themselves? <laughs> Um, no, so we had some fun recording uh, a new intro. We'll have a, a new outro um, as as well, just with the uh, new microphones. Uh, yeah, get ourselves even yeah. with the audio level. After all, it's been a couple of years, so it's about time. Yep, I think. Um, Joey, good week. Good week. Bad week. That was all right. It was. I, I only have uh, one more work day left in this calendar cycle. Hey, congratulations! And uh, for that day, we're actually going as a company to go see The Hobbit. So, hey, congratulations! So on Monday, I go see The Hobbit, and then I'm on vacation until the end of the year. <laughs> That's fantastic for you. Uh, I also had a very good week. Now, I had a long week that had a couple of positive marks. The big project I've been working on that I've been slaving away at finally launched like the website is done it's live it is out there so if anybody's you know feels the need to go to cmo.com the letter c the letter m the letter o charlie michael october um you can go there i helped build the website um i am so glad that thing is finally done (laughs) it's killing me it has been the the focus of your life for the past few months so we launched it wednesday Hooray, you know, congratulations, you know, it was a race to the finish. We got, yeah, finished up a little last few things here and there. The client was able to change the DNS himself. He clicked the, you know, the, the button to make it all go. And everybody's excited, happy. He comes in on Thursday. There's still a lot more work that needs to be done. <laughs> I was there at work for, at about 8 because I had to help out somebody on the East Coast. I was there till 8 o'clock that night. So... Long, long weeks. Um, yeah. And several of them in a row, too. Yes. Uh, Saturday's ugliness. Um, I think I pulled my hours for this week. Yesterday, I had hit 50 hours um, in, in four days. And then today, I had kind of a, a looser day, but still had a lot of work to do. Yep. And I'm just excited that I can return to, to normal. I guess I don't know what normal is at this company, to be honest. <laughs> You're going to find out. I hope one day we figure out what normal is. Um, so I'm hoping for some sleep. My uh, the the boss, the the owner of the company over our division, is like, look, take all of Christmas week off. It's you know, don't even worry about your PTO. The company's comping you. Just relax. Just enjoy yourself. You guys worked hard. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, there you go. And I'm taking my team out to go see The Hobbit next week. So you know. That's going to be something. Yeah. I'm excited for it. Uh, I don't think we have any other announcements. Nothing to declare. We are recording a podcast next week, right? No. No? No. But 
it it's a podcast orderville trip so i i leave on actually on wednesday night i go to orderville for wednesday thursday and the end of the world right yes and correct assuming the world doesn't actually end please mayans be right i go visit my parents (laughs) on the 22nd (laughs) i kid uh we are we are going to go see my parents on the 22nd aaron's actually coming to orderville with us so that we can all go over and spend one day with my parents and when i called my parents up to say hey you know are you guys going to be around would this be something you guys want to do uh my dad reminded me I, i knew this already but i'd forgotten he says well just be aware, my mother is staying with us, and she is a cranky old expletive. <laughs> and he said, "Wait, how is she still alive? She's ninety. Wow! And uh, I think just pure Henri, uh, <laughs> I would assume at this point, is what's powering her. Uh, kind of like a lich. <laughs> okay, but uh, yes, yeah, so he always said she is. She's kind of hard to put up with. And I said, you know, Dad, as I remember it, she was kind of always hard to put up with." Because she was kind of the disciplinarian grandma, you know, she wasn't the one that gives you hugs and, and chocolate chip cookies. She's the one that makes you take a nap at fourteen years old. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do me a favor while you're down there. Take a picture of the bunker. That might be fun. <laughs> okay. Nah, you don't have to. Um, okay. Well, let's see here. What do we do first? I know we've got our list that we've got to go through our top five. Do we have any emails we need to, to hit? Um, yeah, actually, you know what? Yeah, let's do one of the emails. Uh, listener M, he wrote in and he said, Hey, Pete and Joey, I'm glad to hear you are recording again this week, despite your busy seg- schedules. Wait a second. Are we recording the w- Christmas week? I need to check with Didi. That find Friday? Out. The, whatever, it might be. The, after Christmas, yeah. yeah. after Christmas. I, I, the, so it'll be like the 29th or something like that? Yeah, somewhere around there. We That that actually is very likely No, it's happen. like 27th. You know, I've got a calendar. <laughs> Let's just look this up. We'll know for a fact. Uh, 28th. Well, we were both right. 28th. Um, yeah, so we might record. We might not. Who knows? I think we should record. Okay. Uh, I'll I'll pass that along. Yeah. Yeah. You let her know. (laughs) I do know that uh, somewhere in that week, I am going to be helping uh, a friend tear apart a house so that they can get to the washing machine, which was stuck way back in the corner. And then all the other appliances were installed around it. (laughs) And now the switch is broken on the lid to the washing machine. We bought the the right switch off of Amazon for three bucks, but they're going to have to pull out a range of refrigerator and a dishwasher in order to get that washing machine out far enough that we can actually work on it to replace the switch. So that's a shame. That's a real shame right there. (laughs) Uh, Mark continues. Are you ready for next week? The last week before the end of the world, 12-21-2012. I bet there are going to be some pretty wild parties next week. <laughs> yeah, uh, Joey will probably want to spread his uh, spend his final hours with his family, but Pete should get out and live it up before the end of the world. <laughs> Yolo, Pete! You only live once. Oh, okay. I was like, <laughs> wait, did he just say the color yellow? <laughs> oh, well. Uh, point of inquiry: Did we fall off the fiscal cliff yet? No. Should I be worried about the debt crisis looming around the corner? 
No. It's, it's not a debt crisis. It's a political crisis. Yeah. Okay. Of course, it is going to usher in, you know, massive amounts of taxes and, yes. uh, you know, Cuts in spending services. getting cut back. It's a yep. dirty little pill. We got to swallow someday. Yep. Maybe in our children's generation. That would be easier for us. You're a terrible person. <laughs> How can you even make that joke? I don't have any children. <laughs> That you know of. <laughs> Feedback from the archive. You guys are wrong about the episode Darmok. That is the worst of Star wow. Trek. Seriously? Did you did you watch the outrageous Okana? <laughs> I think Shades of Grey? Shades of Grey has got to be worse than Darmok. Um, such a stupid story. Ugh. I'm not surprised the Inner Light received a perfect score, though. Patrick Stewart is a phenomenal talent who puts a lot of work into his craft. I'm surprised that you didn't mention Q in the episode Tapestry. The relationship between Q and Jean-Luc is moving. You have a near-immortal wanting to help a mortal expand and learn great and wonderful things. Q is a great teacher for Jean-Luc. Perhaps their relationship is the defining one of the show. Hmm. Uh, I thought for sure we talked about Q and Tapestry. Yeah, I, I, it's been a long time. Honestly, <laughs> I felt like we did because I thought I especially enjoyed it because I know we had a discussion about whether or not he was actually helping him or whether or not he was just toying being, with him. Uh, you know, a yeah. uh, pest. I think you went with pest. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, I'm just about finished listening to the TNG podcast. I haven't watched The West Wing yet. Do you think I need to before listening to your commentary? I'm going to say yes. I think you should watch the, each slate of episodes before you listen to that podcast. Yeah, it'll help out. I mean, I, I just think you should watch the series before you listen to our podcast. So you're saying you should listen, watch the entire series mm -hmm. before starting in on that set of episodes, that set of podcasts? He didn't get specific. I'm just telling him he needs to watch the series before he listens to our podcast. Okay. I don't think you need to watch the whole series before you start listening. I think you can listen as you go, personally. Okay. One of the, just so you know, uh, Mark, that was Joey who was saying that. Joey is the one you don't like. <laughs> I'm the one you do like. Uh, but I'm the one who's right. One of the great things about your friendship is how that you don't always agree. I especially like it when Pete calls out Joey for how wrong he is. <laughs> I couldn't have baited you into that any better. <laughs> you really couldn't have. <laughs> it wasn't a setup. That is, it just genuinely came out that way. Does the father of the podcast still use his polyhedral dice for his ratings? I haven't seen him pull out the polyhedron for a while. Yeah. Anyhow, I hope everyone has a great week before the end of the world. Later, former listener M? Well, because the world's ending. Oh, right. Right. Okay. Well, that's a shame. That's a shame. <laughs> yeah, see, we were just he seemed like a, He seemed like a good guy. <laughs> I hate to lose him. Dang it. Oh, well. Uh, okay. Uh, Facebook find of the week? Yes, Facebook find of the week, Pete. Okay. Uh, I'm going to quickly bring this up because uh, I want to get this right here. Um, there was something posted up. It's uh, a little... A little different 
Um, this was sent in by Bob. Okay. Listener Bob, congratulations. You've won because Edward James Olmos is following you on Twitter. Nice. I don't know how you managed to get that, <laughs> but props to you, my friend. That's amazing. Yeah. Maybe he follows everyone. <laughs> then like, he would be following our... Do we follow him? Bob? No, no, no. I'm saying maybe Edward James almost follows back anyone who follows him. Oh, uh, yeah. Don't know. Okay. Don't know. Bob, you'll have to let us know. And uh, to answer the question that I posed, Bob, we are following you. I have gotten tweets from you. I, I went back and I checked. So, yeah. Congratulations. Um, I guess I should follow him. What's his <laughs> What's his Twitter account? I don't know. It's oh, okay. in my head. <laughs> you can't ask me these things. <laughs> Is it at Listener Bob? <laughs> <laughs> that would be great if it were true. <laughs> uh, Brainy Smurf. Yes. Okay. He says hello, dudes, and possible guests. <laughs> no. I wanted to get my buddy on here, but like I said, it was just a terrible week. I. I barely watched any television. It wasn't until the end of the week that I even watched this episode, these episodes. Yeah, we actually watched it together tonight before yeah. recording. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, and hello, Czar. Yeah, he's not here either. <laughs> it's just us. I'm sorry. You know, Brainy, I, I hope you're not upset by that. Late submission. Top five leaders in books. Honorable mention to Tennis Half-Elf. And Tom Bombadil. Okay. Um, number five, Hey Joe from Cloud Atlas. Okay. I'm, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Jon Snow, a bastard. King David, also a musician. Mance Raider, also a musician. King of the Wildlings in Ice and Fire. Oh, okay. way to give that away. <laughs> It's not uh, a secret, Pete. You and, told that right away. And number one, Harry Seldon. Okay. I don't know who that is. That is the uh, Isaac Asimov's foundation. He's the founder of the uh, form of – I can't remember what they call it now. It's the form of statistical analysis that allows him to predict the course of human history. Oh, sure, sure. so he sure. sets okay, up the I first remember. and second foundation. Yep, I remember now. Okay. It's Harry. Did you say Harry? Yeah. Yeah, it's Harry. I, I pronounced it Hari for years, and then someone I said it out loud at a con once. <laughs> I got looks from around there. I'm like, what? It's Harry. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I can see that. Nope. At a con? You went to a convention? Yes, I did. I you Wait, oh, hold on a second. You've talked. It's a tiny con. Very, right. very tiny. Okay. It's here in Salt Lake City. <laughs> By the way, you're, you know, hey, I'm not going to be on Facebook anymore is a load of crap. <laughs> I'm just saying that out loud because not only did you post it here, you commented on Curtis yeah. on something Curtis posted. Yeah, I was stuck on the train today and the internet was too slow to do anything other than read Facebook. Load of crap. I didn't say I'm not on Facebook anymore. So I'm trying, trying to stay away from it. Whatever. Yeah. And trying to stay away from it is posting twice to the TrekWest 5 wall. But, you know, I can't handle... The finding the TrekQuest 5 that's find right. of yes, the week. Right. That, that would... Hey, you know what? You're doing so well at it, I would not want to take that away from you. <laughs> Great. I win again somewhere. <laughs> uh, Brainy goes on. He says, 
The Bray Nation has recently changed the location of its headquarters. Okay. Uh, and as a result, I have been lacking internet access recently. I say this because I am on a slight time delay hearing the Treklist 5 podcast. So I may be responding to stuff from a couple podcasts back. Nonetheless, one consistent theme in Battlestar Galactica so far is the con- concept of limitations not o- is the concept of limitations. Not only have recent episodes involved some of the finite resources that our fleet faces, but on a conceptual level, Ron Moore is enjoying the ability to create beyond the limitations provided by Star Trek. The scripts from Trek episodes are famously written in stone, allowing the actors very little wiggle room to add to the scene. This is why Picard, coming from Shakespeare, was so incredible. In BSG, Ron Moore will welcome the input from the actors and regularly change lines and ideas at the last minute. Now remember, after TNG... Ron Moore went on to DS9 for five years. DS9, of course, was locked into and over uh, into an overarching intergalactic war story. Therefore, Joey, BSG was conceived by Ron Moore with absolutely no final idea of any kind. There is no preset story, just a beginning. Now, BSG's story will... Uh, will evolve but for now the producers are still trying to figure out how to tell their story so in the first season we have many self-contained stories ron moore freely admits that for a certain episode they were paying tribute to one of their favorite war movies for instance in one commentary ron moore refers to it as his crimson tide episode Um, this recycling of ideas speaks toward the sustainability of art. Another obvious example would be creating a painting or a band performing a cover song. And what song is more covered than all, uh, uh, is more covered than all along the watchtower? Yes, that's right. We swing into this week's Brainy's Nook of Darkness with All Along the Watchtower, Part 3, The Legend of Jimi Hendrix. Now, Joey, if anyone should be able to appreciate music, it is a programmer. Instead of ones and zeros, we have notes or tones. In Western music, there are only 12 tones, and Bach organized them into systems using groups of seven tones called scales or keys. In this sense, both a concerto and a blues ballad are systems of music, and from Mozart to Dylan, it's amazing what humans have accomplished with that small tonal palette. In many applications, the art of music composition is how one recycles those seven notes through the ages into a tapestry of sonic awesomeness. This brings us to the BSG theme. You may not be aware, but the original first season had a different theme song. It was very bass and austere with a military yet spacey vibe. I love it the best. But the producers wanted more, so when Bear was asked to revamp it for season two, he covered his own song. He took the skeleton of that first theme and redressed it with some eastern vibes, using the lyrics from an ancient Hindu prayer. 
this is how much music is uh, this is how music is reborn. This is what Hendrix in epic fashion did when he covered all along the watchtower six months after its original release. Jimmy reanimated it with distortion and solos and attitude. Jimmy's guitar solos tell their own stories. They reflect the history of uh, music, the Delta Blues origins, tracing the roots uh, with the electricity of the 60s. Within his solos are the techniques of a master craftsman, a demonstrator of such acumen. He forever changed the way that every single subsequent guitarist would play. He changed the way guitar students learn. From the curriculum of a beginner are the riffs that Hendrix composed. The Jimmy version of Watchtower is now simply iconic. Dylan respected the rebirth of his song so much that he has, ever since first hearing it covered, uh, ever since hearing it covered, performed it the Jimmy way as a tribute to the greatest of us guitarists. So, uh, that's pretty cool. To, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that. Th- to cover something six months after it comes out, today there would be lawsuits. <laughs> well, it depends. I mean, you have, you'd have to have you'd have to have permission, definitely. Yeah, I, I just think that's nuts. And I, 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 I bet they didn't get permission to do that. I bet he just did it. Well, yes, in the 1960s, I think the culture was a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Brainy, thanks very much. That uh, that was really cool to uh, to learn about. And uh, you know, I have to say, as much as I I do love Bob Dylan, you know, a little bit, I think out of our generally speaking, out of our generation's musical palette, I do love Bob Dylan, but I've never been able to really get an appreciation for Jimi Hendrix. Oh wow, I pick Hendrix over Dylan any day. Bob Dylan was... is a great songwriter, terrible singer. I agree that he's not much of a singer, but he, he the music that he wrote and the songs that he wrote, I enjoy. I don't know. I, stylistically, I enjoy the Bob Dylan style, not necessarily the singing, but the musical style of a Bob Dylan is generally what I prefer over Jimi Hendrix. And and it's probably just I haven't, you know, I haven't made a concerted effort to really sit down and grow to appreciate the Hendrix style. Bob Dylan I did because he was a clear influence on U2 and I you know, I I when I decide when I discovered U2 for myself and how much I enjoyed their music, I said Boy, you know, I wonder where that comes from. What is it that is in their music that I'm really enjoying? And I started to analyze it and try to find, you know, where they were referencing and they were talking about bands that influenced them and stuff. And Bob Dylan is one. Johnny Cash is one. Frank Sinatra, they talk about his influence. Uh, a lot of the musical taste that I have comes from a concerted effort of sitting down and saying, I want to be able to hear and appreciate what. Bono and, and the other members of U2 are hearing in this and over time learning how to appreciate that particular style of music and Hendrix is just not one that I've spent that time on unfortunately yeah. um, well Brainy uh, congratulations I hope on the move yeah. that you've made I uh, hope everything gets sorted out for you I it's painful moving um, so yeah uh, let us know once you get all settled and everything's all good 
I'm sure you'll get everything worked out, but uh, you know, nonetheless, congratulations. Appreciate your dedication, being able to send in. Yeah, even though nooks without internet. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's just a, you know what that Brainy is shaming all of the rest of you listeners right now. <laughs> you, you couldn't even send in a thank you card for the last week's podcast. <laughs> all right, don't do that. That would be terrible. I'd feel awful if I started getting those at my house. Um, okay. Joey's Culture Corner? Yeah. Joey's Culture Corner this week is the movie X-Men First Class. Oh. Uh, this this was a 2011 release, but I finally got around to watching it. <laughs> um, not my favorite. Not my favorite X-Men movie. I'd have to say the first X-Men movie is really the only one that I actually wholeheartedly enjoyed. Um. I felt like the X-Men First Class was a little bit too preachy and a little too heavy on their particular moralistic point of view and, and this, this message that they're trying to get across of, well, have you seen First X-Men First Class? I have. Okay. So you can diverge from my point of view if you like. But oh, what, this is what, Joey's Culture Corner. No, I'm saying I'm inviting you in to the, the corner. We'll, we'll huddle here together. Um, <laughs> I'd rather stay outside. Uh, so it, I, you know, looking at it and saying, okay, you know, really, what is this trying to say? What is the big idea? As the listener Jim once upon a time challenged me to, to point out. So let's say it's really the, uh, the battle between the Christian concept of goodness and righteousness, and even going so far as saying the Christian concept of a soul and an afterlife. Versus the Nietzsche kind of, you know, the success of humanity is gauged on our ability to evolve to a new life form, the Ubermensch kind of uh, system of belief. Um, not a clear winner comes out at the end of this movie. I mean, it's almost like they kind of, they, they, they're, it reminds me a little, a little bit of President Bartlett in The West Wing. One of the things that frustrated me about the way Sorkin writ him, wrote him was wrote him wrote him was that he'd say, "Oh, you know, I don't care who's right. I just want to elevate the debate. It doesn't matter which side is right. Let's just raise the the level of debate, which is great. I love having the level of debate raised, but pick a side already." And the writers here didn't really seem to pick a side. They kind of, in my opinion punted on deciding which which team was right, which point of view, which worldview was the correct one. I would disagree. Okay. Uh, on your premise, be, and which leads to a false conclusion. Okay. Uh, I, I think that this was telling the story of Professor X, Charles Xavier, and Magneto. Eric Blencher... I think I got Lenser, that right. Yeah. Um, these two characters are iconic within comics. You know, two diametrically mm -hmm. opposed sure. in, in their you know their quest. Um, you know, and Charles Xavier's is we need to live together. There is there can be a common ground here. You know, we don't have to be at war. And Magneto is nope. Just got to be at war. I, I don't think that there is. This is why Magneto has chosen the course that he has. 
You know, I, I just, I felt that this was a faithful retelling of the, the history of Charles Xavier and Magneto. Okay. I I don't, I don't think that the, 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 the director is trying to tell some sort of social tale. I totally disagree with you because he didn't stick to the original versions of Magneto and Charles Xavier. He did not stick to the way they are represented in the comic books. Yeah, he they changed never do that, them. though. They, they always, the way he changed every, them... Every comic book writer, though, changes the story. But the way he changed them was to make... To take what was... Because that what, what you just said is actually inaccurate. Magneto was never... There has to be war. That was not Magneto in, in the comic books. That has never been Magneto's stance. Magneto's stance is... The war is going to happen whether we like it or not. I want to win. Not that he is an advocate of the war because in the comic books, he actually ran the X-Men for a little while when he was trying to prevent the war from coming. But the war is here. The war is here to stay. I don't believe that we can avoid the war now. I just want to make sure we come out on top. As opposed to the Magneto we see in X-Men First Class who is actively seeking the destruction of humanity. As was the Magneto in the first X-Men movie. Well, again. Actively seeking the destruction of it's humanity. not what the comic books were about. To, well, you were the one that said that you liked the, the original X-Men. I, I do like it, but I'm saying when you change the motivations... You're trying to send a message. There's a reason you did that. You didn't just do it to be arbitrary. There's a uh, purpose behind it. Yeah, I, I get that. Yeah, I get that point. But I just think that he decided to tell a pretty interesting story about okay. how Magneto went in the direction that he did because they were, you know, friends. Yeah. And there was something that eventually tore them apart. Still respect each other, still probably care about each other, but in the end, opposites about you know how they're going to try and go about you know getting what they eventually want as their end goal. And I I just when you brought in the the whole Christian theme here, I just I just don't see it. So Magneto is Magneto's point of view is the. The Nietzschean, okay, it's the evolution of humanity. That's the goal. That's the point. That's the purpose of humanity. Whereas Xavier is, oh, we have to sacrifice ourselves. We have to do the, the good thing. The, the objective good must be sought here, even if it means the destruction of ourselves. That's the difference. That's, that's where I'm seeing the conflict that the director is trying to create. Okay. I'd be hard pressed to believe that from an action movie. Okay, but I didn't think it was. Well, I guess it was kind of actiony. I, I felt like it was very heavy-handed philosophically for being an action movie. Yeah, I, I think that there are going to be a very few people who are going to feel that there is any kind of social message from a movie maybe like they didn't consciously pick up on it but i think it's why it was not the runaway success that something like the avengers was because it was very very heavy-handed with the message whether people mm. consciously detected that or not i think people walked out of it not enjoying the movie as much because it wasn't as fun it was very heavy they were trying to say something interesting idea um i would say that the avengers just did a much better job 
of ramping ramping up. Okay. You know, the the X-Men franchise is so fragmented. <laughs> you know, you you have the the original, you know, 3 X-Men movies that were done. You know, I wish that they'd only done the one. Yeah. Uh then you have the Wolverine movie which doesn't really seem to fit. So you're sort saying of. you're saying you think it's the way that they built the 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 ensemble in their yes. individual movies and there, then there them was together. a concerted effort to eventually get to this the Avengers. Yeah. You know, by the the introduction of um Iron Man. Well, in Iron Man, but the the introduction of Shield. Shield at the very end. Or not uh, sorry, not not Shield um crap. What's his black guy one eye? Nick Fury. Shield. Nick Fury. At the very end of the the episode coming in and saying, Hey, Tony Stark, uh, we gotta talk, you know, kind of thing. Okay. At the end of every single one of those movies, there's some tie in that's working back and back and back and back to what we get with the Avengers. I just it builds anticipation when you prepare in that I, regard. I see what you're saying. I think for people who were already fans, yes. But there were so many people that became fans of the Avengers that maybe had not just just looking at the 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 gross revenue that it did leads me to believe that there's a large portion of people that walked into Avengers not necessarily being huge fans of the previous set of movies and so therefore it says that there's something about the Avengers that stands on its own that people really enjoyed and i think mm. it's i think it's that it was a fun movie Joss Whedon was having fun you could tell that he loved what he was doing. And I feel like the director of – I walked out of uh, X-Men First Class feeling like this director, he was trying to preach instead of just trying to tell a good story. It's very interesting because I would choose X-Men First Class over Avengers any day. Interesting. But a- any day. In my mind, Avengers became a mindless action movie. Fun. I yeah, certainly yeah. enjoyed it. The Hulk scene. <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> And if anybody who's watched the the movie knows, that's all I'm going to say, but you will all agree with me, that Hulk scene was amazing. <laughs> You're talking about the one with Hulk and Loki. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because there were several pretty funny Hulk scenes yeah, in that yeah, movie. Yeah, there were a couple, but there was Hulk and Thor. There, I there's was... one very iconic <laughs> scene that, uh, not iconic, but one scene that just stands apart among yeah, them all. Yeah, definitely. Um. I I just think that it, uh, pardon a pun, you know, cerebral in, in the way that the X Men First Class, you know, was done, and I enjoy it on a you know a, a different level. And, and I agree with that, which is why I say yeah. it's not just an action movie, and I think that may be why it wasn't the the financial success. Well, to compare it to what Avengers did financially and say it wasn't a financial success is a. I don't think it's fair okay. because it still did incredibly well to the point that they're coming out with a second. You know? Oh, I hadn't heard that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. And they've got uh, most of the other cast, and I believe uh, they have also secured Patrick Stewart and um, Ian McKellen. Nice. So, so they're going to do a little time jumping. That's a thing. Okay. Saying, you know, that's a thing now. For For me... I, again, I, I got to the end of the movie and I felt, wow, that was so heavy. And then they just didn't ever come down really strongly on either side. 
I'm actually going to give this a thumbs down. Wow. Um, thumb down. The, the, <laughs> I haven't had to say that one, so I didn't say it right. <laughs> I haven't given out very many thumb downs. <laughs> They're, uh, I don't know. It, I just felt like it's not trying to, it's, it's telling us this story and here's what happens at the end. There is no final answer. It's life goes on. They didn't solve everything. Okay. Whatever. Uh, I like it. I would give it a thumb up. Uh, that was fun. We haven't disagreed on stuff for a while. So that was, that was kind of <laughs> like fun. 20 minutes ago. <laughs> no, I mean, but in, you know, like a, you know, a thing that is more than just me saying you chose poorly on your, you know, <laughs> hamburger tonight or something. I don't know. Uh, do, do we want to do our uh, five? Yes, let's do our five. So this is the five shows that should not be rebooted or reimagined. <laughs> Pete, you want to go ahead? Uh, okay. So my friend John Madsen posted up uh, Mash. Mash. I will echo that and not add it to my list. Okay. Um, here's one that I wish had not been. Oh, remade. I, see, I had a couple, and I thought, well, that's already been done. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, Hawaii Five O. Really? The premise is. I just haven't ridiculous. watched any of it, but it certainly looks high budget. <laughs> well, here's the thing: Hawaii, not that big, <laughs> but and so critical apparently to our national infrastructure. <laughs> there must be like Hawaii must be just a mess with crime everywhere. <laughs> And I get that, yes, it, it's still, you know, fairly big place. You know, lots of people come. But still, not that much is really <laughs> going on there. Come on. Uh, I just have a hard time believing that. Uh, to my list. <coughs> Excuse me. In no particular order. I'm going to say this is okay. I'm going to say this one is one that should not be remade because it is too good and okay, you don't want to I mess don't with want it. them touching it. Okay. Much like MASH, Star Trek The Next Generation. Okay. Reinvent, you know. Do you want to see Captain Worf or is that getting too close? Uh, I'd be okay with that as long as it's not, hey, I've got a new Captain Picard. Like what they're doing with a new Kirk, I'm kind of, I don't love that. Okay. I see what you're saying. Go start a, a new thing. I'd prefer. Okay. But, you know, the, the Star Trek movie was was still good. Okay, uh, these are movie uh, uh, things that should not be remade. Full House. <laughs> what? As a kid, I knew this was a terrible show. <laughs> Just I'm with you. Dreadful. Yeah. But that passed as entertainment back then, and so we all watched it. You know, the, the whole... Um, uh, Olsen twins? Yes, baby Michelle. Oh, I wanted to gouge my eyes out. <laughs> Terrible. Um, CSI anything. <laughs> I hate the CSI franchise. Oh, that's unfortunate. I would like it all to be shot in a cannon out to space. <laughs> um, oh, another one that uh, I don't want them messing around with. DuckTales. Oh, I didn't even think of that one. That's a good I one. I like DuckTales. Yes. I think yes. it's fun. It's, you know, it's what I remember from my you know, childhood growing up. 
I really enjoy all of those cartoons, so I don't want them monkeying around. With you know them. what I liked about DuckTales is it was probably one of my first experiences, a very early experience for me, in long-form storytelling on television because they had an arc. They had an arc over the course of DuckTales that they were telling. And it starts oh. off with the, the very first episode of DuckTales, which is a five-parter. Mm-hmm. And from there on, I mean, there's this... Yeah, yes, there were episodic things that came in, but there was also a grand arc to the story. I don't remember the grand arc, other than Scrooge McDuck is really greedy, <laughs> which they nailed that one. Yeah, I, I, to What's me, the, the grand the, arc. I don't. The, I don't the arc is the development of the relationship between the boys and Uncle Scrooge, and I can't remember now the the housekeeper's name, Mrs. Yeah. Quackmire or something Mrs. like that. Duckworth? Yeah, it could be Mrs. No, Duckworth. I, don't, I think I'm making that. That was my kindergarten teacher. <laughs> Honestly, that was her name, Mrs. Duckworth. Okay. Uh, I just think you're stretching the definition of what uh, an arc is. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Pro- progression of characters is one thing. Uh, a, an actual conceited story is is something different. Uh, okay. Last one. Worst of all. Well, maybe at least as far as I could remember from you know two hours ago when I put this list together. <laughs> Saved by the Bell. Oh, my gosh. I didn't think of that one. Oh. No. Never again. <laughs> I, I I did. I watched it. It was, again, another one of those things where it was like, this is terrible, but Kelly looks pretty hot, so I guess I'll keep watching. <laughs> it was. Kelly wasn't even the cute one. Who's the other one? Elizabeth uh, Berkeley? I mean, she was all right, but I thought the other one was cute. Lisa Turtle? No. <laughs> the other white girl. <laughs> there was only two white girls. Right. Kelly was played by Elizabeth Berkeley, right? No. Oh, okay. No. Oh. All right. Then I was talking about Kelly. Sorry. Okay. So obviously, I'm not a true <laughs> fan of Saved by the Bell. There are plenty of others out there. Would love to hear your guys' list if you're so inclined. Tell us what you don't think should be remade. But, uh, Joey, what's your list? Cavemen. <laughs> <laughs> this was a bad idea. Let's take a Geico commercial and make it 30 times longer. You know, I think it could have worked, but it needs to be a police procedural. <laughs> Not a comedy. Police procedural. Yeah, a drama. It could have been a law procedural and you'd have unfrozen <laughs> caveman lawyer in the series. <laughs> Classic Phil Hartman character. Um, number four, Happy Days. I, I think that they should just leave that one alone. It, it's okay. not great, but I don't think you're going to do it better. And it's so iconic that you just, just don't touch it, you know? Uh, the Monkees. <laughs> no i don't know how that ever made it on the air uh some, some of the music's catchy but uh yeah let's let's not ever please try that again cheers this is one that i think shouldn't be touched because it, it, they got it right sam malone woody coach you know all those characters i, I just think you leave it alone it's, it's a beautiful thing and the last one uh just you know, they actually, I, I, I almost put this off my list because they tried to remake it as a live action movie and it failed miserably from all accounts. I actually haven't seen it myself, but He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Uh, um, I, I just, 
You know, earlier tonight we were watching a remake of Transformers, the Transformers Prime. Yeah. And how dark that was. It was it is not for kids. I think I would I was enjoying watching it because it seemed like the story was pretty well put together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I was okay with it. Um He Man, I just I don't know. It was it was good for being the goofy thing that it was when we were kids. I think you you did if you tried to do it now you'd end up with something like the Transformers Prime, something I would never ha- let my kids watch. You know, they'd have to be fourteen, fifteen years old before I felt comfortable with them watching that Transformers Prime show. Yeah, but I'm okay with having cartoons like that exist out there. I think they should just leave Heyman alone. It's good how it is. Okay, moving on to episodes, we are going to cover episode five and six of Battlestar Galactica season one. We'll start off with episode five. You can't go home again. Tempers grow short as the crew of the Galactica search for the missing Starbuck. Okay. Uh, spoiler alert. This is a Starbuck episode. <laughs> and they find her. Yeah. She well, survives. She finds them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so this to me just seems like a massive waste of resources. Yes, I would agree. Yeah. Um, and I wrote the question at the very beginning because I didn't remember the episode. Uh, very well. I said, should they really be searching for her? For her? This is like a you know a huge waste of resources. And then come to find out, that's like one of the big themes. In this. Yes, it's it like, is the question of the episode. Why, why are we going after this one person? We have you know used up six, what forty forty seven forty seven percent. I think they said forty seven percent of our fuel reserves that we use to protect ourselves to find this one pilot. Yeah. Who, you know, fair enough, she's done a lot of great things, and she clearly is the best pilot around. Ever. <laughs> uh, but it, it's, it, it seemed to me a little silly when they start searching this moon for a single person. What made it even more silly is as they get, like, 24 hours into the 48-hour window, or I think it's 46-hour window... And Gata brings the topographical map, and he's like, "All right, here's what we've searched." And it's like one percent of the surface of the yes. of the body. Mm-hmm. At that point, you have to call that search. You're like, "Oh, you know what? This is never going to work." And it's not like them searching did Starbuck any good anyway. No, it didn't. Except she didn't hear them flying wait. overhead. Except have them wait in the general area. You, you could wait. <laughs> <laughs> At least well, wait until she's out of oxygen, you know. Let's wait here. We'll wring our hands. Oh, I wonder if she'll fly off of the planet all by herself. Well, they never found her ship, so they don't even know for sure that her ship was crashed. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, maybe you know. she's down there and she's doing some repairs and she'll fly back out. It just seems silly. That I agree. It, it, this is all, you know, some big emotional thing and... You know, if you're going to be looking around for someone, don't do it on a moon with terrible visibility that you have to fly, you know, 10 feet off of the ground in order to be able to see anything. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Just not going to happen. Uh, uh, Starbuck wakes up having <laughs> obviously impacted the ground pretty severely. Um, and she's sliding across the ground. Mm-hmm. They, they, show a, they show us from... Looking down from the parachute's point of view, so you can't see that the parachute is pulling her. And my wife turned to me and she said, are these going to be aliens? Do they have her? 
<laughs> I said, honey, I think it's just her parachute that's pulling her. And then sure enough, that's, they changed the angle. You're like, yeah, it's just the parachute pulling her along. But she starts off kind of just sliding across the ground like someone's towing her by her feet. <laughs> Thought it was kind of a funny thing to point out. Um, During the midst of this whole back and forth, you know, should we, you know, what's going on with Starbuck? We're looking for her. The president swears in front of the president. No, no. Adama swears in front of the president. Yes. The president does not swear in front of the president. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she um, seemed really shocked by that. Well, everybody was. They're like, It just all of a sudden went silent like, uh, oops. <laughs> like, it's one of those things you don't... You don't swear in front of the the boss of the company. It's just there's a sort of a little bit of a reverence there that you respect the authority, you expect respect the, the respect office. the office, and I, I swearing becomes this casual thing. It's like oh yeah, we all kind of do it. I know you, so I can swear in front of you, <laughs> but oh, not the president. I, what's wrong with society that we that swearing's okay? I don't I don't want a swearing all the time. <laughs> Damn it! I like that. Thank you. Um, there. So Adama abandons his no guessing policy here. You know, he he told us just an episode ago, or maybe it was two episodes. I don't. I tell my people not to guess until all the facts are in. And then when uh, when he's like, "Hey, what about Starbucks calcu- flight calculations?" Yeah, those are pretty useless because of combat tactics. Well, it's time to start guessing. I kind of wish now that they had just not tried to give Adama this characteristic of I don't tell my I tell my people not to guess. It kind of is already starting to seem a little bit ridiculous. Uh, I guess we could kind of you know patch around that by saying, "Oh, well." He didn't know the president back then, and so he didn't want to try and give her okay. any kind of power. I don't know. Okay. Uh, the Cylons show up in a restaurant. In uh, <laughs> in, in a restaurant. Yeah. That has to be, for me, one of the scariest scenes. I thought they did a good job with you know helping us feel the emotion. Yes, I was. I had the same note. Yeah. Uh, because. I could feel him praying that the toaster does not <laughs> pop up. By the way, I don't know if you if you got if you found it as funny as I did, the chrome toaster with the red light on it. I absolutely did. Okay, I laughed and laughed. My wife was like, "What's so funny?" I'm like, "It's a chrome toaster with a red light." She's like, "I don't get it. They call the Cylons the chrome toasters, <laughs> and they have the red light." <laughs> Never mind. You're just if you didn't get it, it's not going to be funny. <laughs> No, 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 that's when you need to take the time to explain it. Because <laughs> nothing makes a joke funnier than explaining it. Exactly. Um, oh, very cool. Kara prays and immediately <laughs> has her prayer answered. But she's kind of flippant about it. It's not very a very sincere prayer. It's okay. John and I recorded a podcast, uh, you know, our religious as opposed to this secular podcast, <laughs> this evil podcast. Um, and we discussed some of the religious, the spiritual overtones that come through. This, this is the one Lactica. I can't listen to now, right? Yes, it is. We, we talk about things. Um, I like the idea that they're putting forth in there of, you know, with Gaius Baltar. 
she uh, when six head six is saying you need to repent of your sins Gaius that, you know God isn't just gonna do this for you again like he did before and he's like okay okay I repent I repent and you know immediate gratification now interesting granted okay. you and I don't believe in that sort of <laughs> prayer yes spirit spirituality um you know that there's there's more to a relationship with God than, hey, please, can I have some He's not more? Santa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But still, they're using this idea. They're laying the groundwork of, you know, there's a spiritual tone to this. Okay. That it maybe looks coincidental. Maybe that legitimately is God helping them out. Interesting. Uh, silent ships apparently are at least partially organic. Yes, we see uh, the blood coming out of the eye of the yeah. Cylon ship, which has to be a little bit off-putting if you're Starbucks. They're like, what? <laughs> that looks weird. Is that red oil? Maybe it's just oxidizing in this uh, environment. Well, it wouldn't be oxidizing because you'd need oxygen for that. It could just be uh, well, power could, steering fluid. Could be <laughs> doing some chemical thing. Um, okay, so Kara finds this living ship's poop chute and climbs up it. Yes. Um, and then just, I guess, climbs into the colon, apparently, and takes up residence there for a little while. Ah, uh, well, the, the, the ship isn't that big, so I don't know what you want to call it. <laughs> she cuts into the thing. Yeah. So it's not as though there was a sphincter that she was, you know, having to crawl <laughs> That's true. up. true. Um, you know, that would have been much better as an episode. <laughs> yes. Um, I, so I had a couple issues with this. Why, why are the Cylons oxygen generators still working? It's dead. I, I don't know. Okay. Is it dead? See it. That's the she cool thing about the out. Cylons is they clearly seem to have figured out the meshing of cybernetics machine and flesh so you know maybe there's some system that is mechanical that keeps the thing i see going okay. even though you know maybe the whatever being the brain was controlling it is dead okay you know because otherwise there's really no possible way she's taking this ship up off of the uh, the planet because it would have to be controlled through some sort of electrical impulse. Yes, yeah. But it seems as though all she has to do is just pull, pull on the right tendons, yeah, and it <laughs> makes things go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I had. We same... won't dwell too okay. much on right. that, but I've I've rolled my eyes pretty heavily. Yeah, so that. did I. Um, Tyrrell has a quote here: "You can push people a lot further than you can push machines." First of all. How would he know? He's a Cylon. <laughs> he is a Cylon. <laughs> See, you you and I had a little conversation this week where you're like, <laughs> okay, Tyrrell's definitely not a Cylon. I was trying to bait you into <laughs> confirming or denying something. <laughs> Good grief. Um, okay, so let's talk about Adama for a second. Okay. Which he's, one? He snaps. Okay. Uh, Commander Adama. And... At, you know, at, at one point he ends up relieving Colonel Ty yes. of duty. Take him out. You know, you're you're relieved. And 
he has just rationally gone. Yeah. This is... It, it's nice on one level to see that Commander Adama is still very much human. Um, or is he? <laughs> he um, is. And that he genuinely cares about Starbuck to the extent of he cares about Starbuck more than the rest of the entire fleet. Almost. With the exception of Lee. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know that I'd buy that. Okay. Personally. Okay. Um, That's his contention. Yes, agreed. Agreed. Uh, I don't know what point I was making anymore. Anyway, he does it. Uh, it's nice to see, but you know, on a certain level, it's sort of like, I want him to be the tough guy. I don't want him to have you know, uh, a little dent in his great armor. Okay. Uh, I want him to make the right choice and say, yeah, I'm going to miss Kara Thrace. Long live Starbuck. So say we all. <laughs> That's what I would like to have happen there, but it doesn't. I like actually what they did here. Um, because of my own kind of rocky relationship with my father, I I connected to this episode emotionally very closely. Okay, I can see that. President Rosalind, though, has to come through and she chews out Adama. Yeah. So it's very nice, interesting. It's nice to see that Lee backs his father. Yes. Because, you know, Commander Adama says, she's going to come at me pretty hard. And he's like, I got I got you. I'm with you. Yeah. You know, I've got your back sort of thing. Um, very interesting. At multiple points in this episode, Adama, Commander Adama tells President Rosalind, this is a military decision. And she just kind of accepts that. So my question is, in Battlestar Galactica, is the president not the commander-in-chief of the armed forces? Well, you got to remember it. Or is it just that Rosalind is not a strong enough leader and she's not confident in her ability to lead the military? I, I It's tough because Earth is how many, you know, they, they've been away from this mythical almost mythical earth for who knows how long have they even been on earth they themselves like we don't well don't you remember at the at the end of the miniseries commander adama's like yeah all of the all of us commanders of the military we actually know where earth is yes but the way it's been presented so far in the series mm -hmm. is that all life on Earth is a spinoff of this 13th colony. So all of humanity originated elsewhere. And one of the 13 colonies came here to Earth and created human life here on Earth. Whereas these other 12... And then we lost the knowledge, the, the awareness of the existence of the, all these the other 13th races. The 13th colony was Earth. Right. That's what I'm saying. So Earth, so all this whole race predates Earth. Then you have the splitting into 13 colonies. One of those colonies, the 13th, goes to the planet Earth and creates life on Earth. Creates humanity on Earth. Mm, uh... That's what I got from the miniseries. That they were saying, we found this solar system. Oh, and by the way, there's this 13th colony. Well, there are only 12 worlds here. So the 13th colony went off no, into this they're, other they're, remote corner of space. It, from the miniseries, Earth is where they came from. They're all one group. I don't think that's okay. All right, you. It, it is. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'll. I, I'm not spoiling anything. I, that that's just it. That's the the mythos. There. Okay. Earth was 
where they kind of, where they came from. So one group didn't leave, is what you're saying? Yeah, it, it's it's because no. the way they presented in the miniseries is that they split from a an original planet into thirteen colonies, and one of the thirteen colonies went somewhere else. No, the thirteenth colony was Earth. Okay, they they left from Earth basically and went out to the other the other twelve. Okay, and and Earth was you know lost. Okay, to them. So that that's that's the mythos. Okay, all right. I totally read wrong what they were trying to say. Well, I'm glad you brought it up then, so that that you can be corrected because otherwise, things are not going to make sense. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Um. Okay. So I I already rolled my eyes about how she manages to learn how to fly a Cylon ship by just tugging and pulling in various areas. Well, she has 48 hours of tugging and pulling. (laughs) <laughs> no, she wasn't in there for a full 48 yeah, hours, right. okay. though. She gets in there towards the end. But yeah. She gets lucky and finds the oxygen tube. Yes. Okay, great. <laughs> and now she... By the way, that had to be one of the most difficult things. Like, just putting myself in that position. I'm like, I may have just chosen to suffocate rather than suck on that bleeding fleshy oxygen <laughs> tube <laughs> what yeah uh, the, so where's the the carbon dioxide going to yeah no, i you... get that the living organism you know needs something i don't agree with what kara says when she said you have to have oxygen no not every living organism right, yeah. actually needs oxygen yeah. you know there are you know they do breathe other things just, you know, most of it's oxygen. I'm a fan of oxygen. Not putting <laughs> oxygen down. But she finds oxygen. Okay, what's happening with all of the carbon dioxide? Yeah, Because right. there's not a CO2 scrubber anywhere. All of that would be internal through the system itself. Yeah. So... Maybe the same machine that's still generating oxygen also is a CO2 scrubber. Uh, yeah, but there wouldn't need to be an external system <laughs> pulling the carbon dioxide out of the air inside the ship. Yeah, you're right. It just, just doesn't work. So, uh, Cylon Raider approaching just as they're about to jump away. And so they send out the only ship available, Lee Adama. Um, and he goes out there and sees Starbuck written on, you know, the Cylon. So a couple things here about this exchange. First of all, I think we get clear evidence from the episode itself that Starbuck is the better pilot of the two, because not only is she outpiloting Apollo, but she's doing it in a ship. She's only been in for a few hours at most. Right. So she's clearly the superior pilot of the two. She may be the greatest pilot ever. <laughs> and you're still going to roll your eyes. I agree. Yes. I'm, I'm rolling my eyes at that part too. But here, so here's the, uh, there was a line that Apollo had. He said, this expletive is good, referring to the Cylon ship and how it was piloting, which made me wonder, are Cylons, like, are there different levels of pilot within Cylon society? Or wouldn't they just all hmm. be as good of a, as a Cylon could possibly be? When they have optimized toward the one behavior and gone that route. Good question. Good question. 
We don't know. We, we, you don't have an answer. Like, we don't ever get any more information on... We've only seen one type of Cylon ship. We're going to see at least another one this season. Okay. Um, so, I don't know. I don't have an answer. Okay. All right. I don't. That's why I said it's a good question. I didn't say here's a good answer. <laughs> um, okay. So, this is going to be awesome. Because they can gain so much valuable intelligence yes. now. And she should totally fly the Cylon ship from now on. <laughs> uh, just, you know, outfit it with like uh, regular human stuff in there to be able to fly yeah. it. Yeah, because totally. Because the living organism should die yeah. at some point. You just um, strip it out and put her in there. Yeah. It's just, you have to wonder, you know, what is it? living off of <laughs> has to have some form of energy unless it's converting light literal electricity well it could be sunlight like it's getting solar rays you know out there in space from off of the hull of the ship it's converting yeah hmm. uh I anyway mean, i just she, she's so she's so impressed with the maneuverability and the handling of the ship she's piloting i thought man wouldn't this be an awesome show if then the rest of the series starbuck is flying around in this silent raider she doesn't. I know. I figured it out. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I don't have anything else to say about this episode. Uh, so the only thing I had left to say is just, again, that when the scene at the end where uh, Commander Adama comes in to see Starbuck as she's laying there in the hospital bed, and he kind of brushes her hair with his hand, and the emotion that um, Katie Sackhoff displays right there, I, I really connected with it. And once again... Katie Sakoff may have been forced out of the ugly tree by its inhabitants and hit every branch on the way down, but she is an incredible actress. I think she did a great job here. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Brainy Smurf says, one of the producer's favorites of the first season. This episode is riddled with limitation ideas. As Ron Moore points out in Trek, they could have instantly rescued Starbuck using the super scanning and beaming technology. But things are not so easy for our ragtag fleet, nor are they for Starbuck as we see a sweet detail in her little O2 stick. We are saved a mouthful of technobabble by just showing the colors green and red. And I absolutely love the bleeding eyes of the Cylon wing as Starbuck approaches it. This means that even the oscillating eyes of these crafts are organic, so unique, and the guts are great. Have you dudes ever seen anything like this before in sci-fi? Climbing into the organic viscera of a living enemy ship to escape from a hazardous planet? Tin men. <laughs> uh, what? Well, they didn't weren't escaping a planet, but they were walking around through the living organized ship organic ship in the episode 10 man of star trek the next generation the ship that they beam aboard and it turns out it's actually like a living organism um i don't remember that episode i remember uh encounter at far point no not that one i remember the name i don't remember <laughs> the episode Oh, well, uh, he says uh, that is a first awesomeness. Sci-Fi 10 TV 8. Wow. Okay. Hmm. 
You disagree with the 10, huh? Oh, yeah. Well, why don't you give us your own science fiction rating, Pete? I had originally written down 7 because the idea of the Cylon ship being kind of cyborg-like where there's human, where there's, um, you know, mechanical as well as um, fleshy uh-huh. sort of things mixing together. Very cool. But Starbuck learning how to fly it. Well, Starbuck figuring out where the oxygen is blindly and then figuring out how to fly it and then figuring out how to fly it so much better (laughs) than uh, than Apollo. I just cannot buy that for a second. Why can't it be a continued answer to her flippant prayer? It could be, but they didn't call it off as that. Okay. They didn't reference it back at any other point. Fair enough. All right. Um, so I'm going to come down. I'm going to say a five. Wow. I, I love the, the Cylon part of that, but when Kareth Race gets in there with all that other crap, no. It, it was cool to see that you know they were paying homage to flying around in this atmosphere, which is really gunky, and how it plays yeah. you know, havoc with these these ships. I, I, I kind of like that as well. Okay. Um, so here's my question. Apparently, with the invention of Dratus, we lost the technology for radar. Because they have no way of, like, they they have to visually see every single thing. Like, he almost flies into the side of a mountain because apparently he's got no kind of instrumentation other than visual inspection. Well, I think that was you know, part of the fact that it was such a messy planet to be down in there. You, they couldn't really use their systems. Okay. That's my guess. Okay. I gave it a seven for science fiction. I think that the, uh, the cybernetic ship is a cool enough idea. And, you know, I, I, I'd like the way Brainy put it, which is, you know, we're, we're playing with the concept of the limitations of their technology here. Um, and also the, the opportunity for, in a science fiction story, using the missing character to really explore the dynamics of the relationships between the two Adamas and the president and Colonel Ty, which, by the way, I don't know. I just don't buy that Commander Adama is dumb enough to send Colonel Ty, who obviously does not believe in the rescue mission, to be the one to meet the president. Hmm. Um, but I enjoyed it. I'm giving that a seven for science fiction. Pete, what about your television rating? Uh, this is a Starbuck episode, so I don't love it. <laughs> but I get the, the emotion that's surrounding it, and I do appreciate you know some of the, the things that they did. Uh, I'm going to say a six. I give it an eight. Like I said, I really, really deeply connected with this episode. And I, I maybe not everyone will. But for me, it was very strong. It's intense, you know. There, there is a lot of feeling that is wrapped up in it, so, especially yeah, following the previous episode with that confession that she made to Adam. It's just they, very, very well done. Moving on to our next episode, Litmus. After a Doralbot performs a suicide bombing on board the Galactica, the Master at Arms starts a witch hunt. Okay. <sighs> This is awesome, but in the same regard, where did this guy come from? (laughs) Yeah, 
There were just some citizens that were visiting Galactica. At the beginning of the episode, they say, all citizens currently visiting Galactica, please be prepared to show your papers. Right. Like, apparently, it's like a, the tourist attraction is to go visit Galactica and, and see this ship that's defending You us. know, there's probably a limited amount of doctors throughout the fleet. Oh, that could be. So that but they, could... they mentioned in an earlier episode that the doctor is actually going Goes around. Yeah. yeah. He's doing house calls. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. About the doctor doing the house calls. Doctors doing house calls. <laughs> uh, much more hygienic. Um, yeah, I don't know what we're talking about. Moving on. Um, so we start the episode off and the Chief Tyrrell has, you know, several of his friends helping him make a booty call. Yes. Uh, breaking regulations again. Yep. And, uh, it has some consequences as and we're disobeying a direct order on it this time. Um, so my question is... How many more Dorals, the Cylon, um, which I am never going to remember that name. I don't think I've ever remembered it. How many more of them are out there in the fleet? Yeah. And the other guy, too. The arms dealer guy. Right. So my thought was, why didn't they put out... You know, maybe I'll... No. We'll say it now. They know that Cylons are humans. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's this episode where we figure out that there are multiple copies. You know, maybe we don't know that yet. Uh, he said it. They don't Adama know that. Adama says it. Now we know there are multiple copies of each okay. one. Why don't... They, there's only 40 some odd thousand people... Why don't they take pictures of all of them? <laughs> Line everybody up? Yeah. And if there's two people who look alike, automatic suspicion. So, you know, the, the bomb goes off. Mm -hmm. We know that it's this Doral guy. Instead of just going out there and announcing, hey, we've got Cylons in the fleet, probably, that look like humans. Why not take pictures of everyone and then be able to say, oh... That ship has another Doral on it. Okay. Let's go take care of him. Doesn't solve any of the other Cylons that we don't know what they look like. I actually yet. thought that the, I thought there was an even easier solution here. As I was watching it, I'm, I thought, why don't they just release the photos and say, these two men are wanted in questioning regarding the bombing. If you have seen them or have any information as to their whereabouts, please contact the security forces. Right. Yeah, that would work. Um, you know, we've never really seen any sort of public broadcast system other than the radio that we see in this episode. Yeah. You know, there's not a lot of... You're right. You, you know, know I, television show. Although they apparently seem to have printing presses yeah. that can make photos. <laughs> so, you know, that that still exists. Uh, it was funny. I, I forgot to make this as a note, but in watching this with my wife the first time, I I just had to pause and laugh about... How sad of a tale it is. I mean, I understand why. There's there's a very good in-story in reason for why. But it's just very sad that so much of the percentage of the remaining section of humanity is made up of the press. Oh, 
I have the exact same <laughs> comment here. Uh, when to... the President Rosalind holds the press conference, there is an awful lot of people there. Yeah. Where in the world are all of these members of the press coming from? Well, it makes a little bit of sense because a lot of them were probably attached to the decommissioning of the Galactica event. Th- yes, that's true. But they jump in already, and who are they reporting to? Yes, that, that was the good question. Was, what newspaper is putting that? That survived. What, what uh, broadcast is being put out there, you know, on a daily basis? Uh, you know, today in the fleet, <laughs> weather, uh, there's none. You know, eh, look of, outside, folks. <laughs> sports. Nope, no sports. People All still of our play sports pyramid. heroes are dead. People still play Pyramid. Which apparently is a sport. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, let's or is see. Is that here. the card game? Is Pyramid the card game? I don't remember. Yes or no? <laughs> it, One of the two. It could be yeah, <laughs> or both. It could be both answers. Um, so the security offer, uh, officer, yes, says she needs a free hand, an independent tribunal. Why does she need this to do her job? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to no, me at all. She's already the security officer. It's her job to go through and, and get this figured out. Uh, but nonetheless, Commander Dama gives it to her, and she's off to the races. Uh, just a quick technical nit I want to pick here. Um, folks, if you are facing an explosion in a confined space such as a spaceship... Jumping down a side tunnel will not be enough to save you. Explosions <laughs> expand out in all directions, not just straight ahead. Well, that's true. It absolutely is true. The the fireball is going to follow you around. But Mythbusters did actually cover this. Okay. Um, and the, the shock wave, if you just have even a turned over table, like this coffee table right here, is enough to help dissipate the, the, the shock, shock wave. wave that's coming out. I'm talking you. about how the flames shoot straight down the hallway, and they're just yeah. on this little side hallway. They covered that one as well, because they uh, covered the German bunkers had a lot of corners, and apparently the reasoning behind it was to help prevent if there was some sort of uh, grenade or some sort uh-huh. of bomb that went off in it, that it would stop. And they... They looked into it, and apparently that did help prevent some of it. So okay. I agree with you, though. Just because you dump down a side hallway doesn't mean you know you're automatically going to be <laughs> safe. Which, as we can see, you know, Chief uh, or Ty and uh, Adama were you know charred a little bit. You know, they they were blackened from from the explosion. Um, okay, so apparently the chief. Uh, knows how to also make a still and turns a blind eye when, when these people are doing this. The guy's got no credibility now. Um, he, he's he's probably got tons of ability, but no cred-ability. Okay. Um, I have to say, actually, the uh, the booty call, as you put it, at the beginning of this episode... And then the subsequent conversation between Terrell and Boomer at the end of the episode, combined with the behavior of the Boomer bot on Caprica, uh-huh. all adds up to me not liking Boomer anymore. 
I don't care that she's a Cylon now. She's a terrible <laughs> character. What? What do you mean? I'm I'm so done with Boomer. She is conniving. Like the way she behaves throughout this episode makes me lose all interest in her as a character. I'm I'm done. <laughs> I'm no longer a fan of Boomer. How quickly I turn. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I don't know what you're doing. Um, <laughs> so they start, uh, the security chief does interviews. She starts getting conflicting stories, which, why they don't decide on a story, I don't know. Well, here's the thing. Like, it, it's funny because she really zeroes in on Chief Terrell for some reason, on the inconsistencies around what Chief Terrell was doing. But the individual people are not consistent about anything. No. And guess what? This is the way testimony really works in the real world. People don't remember after a traumatic event what they were doing, where they were, what their motivations were. Like you cannot rely on human testimony for anything. It's it's like the most unreliable source of information ever. Okay, fair enough, but in this case some in some cases they're clearly trying to lie. But yeah, well they give vastly different opinions about where Chief Tyrrell is. Yeah. To the point of a couple of them are like, Oh yeah, he was definitely here. Yep, I saw him right here. Well like, but it's just blatantly, you know, wrong for one, obviously, but they the, the stories don't match up and cannot sure. possibly match up at all, even with the, oh, this was a traumatic experience. I'm not remembering it exactly right. Well, the, what, so what I'm referring to is actually like Callie says she was in her bunk reading a book. And not so sinus, but the other guy, I can't remember his name right now, says that he was playing Pyramid with Callie. Like even between those two, they can't even keep straight what they were doing. That's the part that I was like, geez, people, you just cannot trust the human mind to know and, and be able to objectively remember things. I, I, I'm not following you in the slightest here. Are, are, are you, what, what are you trying to say? Are you defending them? Or I'm are you saying you should never ask someone what happens after a traumatic event? The latter thing, and then also saying it's weird that she zeroes in on just the inconsistencies around Tyrrell because... Nothing in any of these stories is consistent with itself. None of them has a consistent story. Yeah, I, I don't... Why isn't she wondering what's going on with Callie? Because Callie said she was in her bunk reading when this other guy said that he was playing Pyramid with Callie. It's why is they were that? lying. Had an itch. I, I get that it's because they were lying. I'm saying, well... doesn't have anything to do with trauma. And to suggest that you can't remember something after a traumatic event, I, I just don't buy that at all. I I, I don't. Okay. I, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and try and convince you, but I've seen it happen so, so many times where you ask 10 people what happened in a car accident and you will get 15 stories. Yeah. Okay. Agreed. But I think that's human nature in general. People see things differently regardless of what other what another person might see. And so here's, here's my question. Why, why are Callie and the other guy lying about what Callie was doing? It doesn't affect the Tyrrell thing at all. 
They're, well, they're not lying. They're wrong. One of them just remembers events incorrectly or possibly both. They're not remembering things incorrectly. They're just blatantly lying. They're just lying about random stuff now, not necessarily about anything to do with Tyrrell. Because where Callie was has nothing to do with where Tyrrell was. Uh, agreed. But he's trying to set, you know, oh, this is where I was. This is what I was doing. And he's stupid enough to not bother to get his story straight <laughs> oh, ahead of time. Okay. And and so they just were idiots, which kind of makes sense because they're the quote-unquote grunts of of the ship. You know, they're the, the manual labor people. So they're, you know, they're not... Probably well educated. Not your criminal to, masterminds to think <laughs> things through. Okay, all right. Um, I do like the character of Callie now, since oh. since the uh, the the, the Astral shooting? Queen, uh-huh. yeah, since that episode, uh, I've I've grown a little bit attached to the character of Callie. Okay, is Which she of a Cylon? Course means she's probably a Cylon. <laughs> um, don't perjure yourself, Pete. <laughs> even for love, just don't do it. Yeah. At best, plead the fifth. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Uh, one of the enjoyable scenes I had in there was when they say, hey, chief, uh, you need to come with me. or uh, Lieutenant. Yeah. the uh, She's coming there for uh, Tyrrell and for Boomer. Boomer. Yeah. And then the lieutenant walks up and well, she doesn't respect him or his chain of authority the the chain of authority there and Cheryl has to say well no I think the uh, no I wrote it down here lieutenant asked you a question sergeant <laughs> here's the weird thing about that exchange to me boomer is a lieutenant yeah okay yeah and Why, yeah and who is that random guy that comes up yeah just another pilot apparently okay. that that whole that whole scene like I, I missed something in there. It didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Because why wasn't Boomer's challenge enough authority? Why did this other guy have to come in and save the day? Well, it's because he's a white male. Grief. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Um, when they're at, so when they're at the tribunal, they start off questioning Tyrrell by saying, "Do you agree to answer these questions without?" invoking your right under the articles uh, whatever and he says yes i agree to that and like minutes later i invoke my right to remain silent under the articles which first of all why you would ever 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 agree to that i don't care if you're not guilty you know we've talked before yeah and, and it's even weird that you know apparently he doesn't get legal representation to you know to be there yeah what frustrated me is when the sergeant then said after he invokes it, well, you do realize that this is going to go towards your character. and It's prob- going to make you look guilty. She actually said it's yes. going to make us look. Just because you say that you're not going to say anything doesn't, doesn't make, make you, you guilty. Yes, yeah. And. And I guess they tried shame to, on television. <laughs> they tried shame to, on television. They tried to cover that, that up a little bit with um, Adama coming through yes. later on. He's like, "Yeah, the, the, this is not actually an admission of guilt by you know accepting Article Twenty Three. 
or uh, applying Article 23 that, you know, you don't have to speak. You don't have to say anything. So I'm I'm glad that that is, you know, still a thing there. (laughs) Um, Terrell's testimony. uh, Were you with a Cylon agent? Well, yes, but I'm one too. So what's your point? That was what I had running through my mind the whole time because they keep badgering him. Were you, are you a Cylon collaborator? Yes, he is a Cylon. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> I, Although I, so this is actually why I said, um, wait, maybe, maybe Terrell, this is why I, I did IM you and tried to get you to confirm or deny. Maybe Terrell isn't a Cylon agent because I'm starting to get the sense that female Cylons, for some bizarre reason, want human men to love them. Hilo, they want Hilo to love Boomer. They want Tyrrell to love Boomer. And they want Gaius to love Six. Not sure what that's all about, but clearly there's something going on there. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So Adama is brought before the tribunal. And... Apparently, the soldiers are allowed to barge into his office. <laughs> well, I, I guess, you know, the, the magical authority extends to, you know, just coming in instead of just knocking and asking to come in first. Whatever. Um, and uh, he sits down and he allows himself to be questioned. Yeah. And after a while, he says, nah, that's it. We're, We're done. done here. Yep. And... This uh, is, in my mind, this is a call back to the drumhead. This yes, is one, another one of those times where we're going to borrow from you know what what's been done in the past. I think drumhead's better. Yes, definitely. Uh, I I think that uh, you know they're trying to get the point across. It's just not done as well as th- it was in in next gen. Yeah, I think a part of it. Is that it's too early in the story, the characters, in our, yeah. in our adoption of the characters. Yeah, yeah, maybe it is a bit. What what I love is when Adama goes up to the door and the, the guards don't move and he doesn't raise his voice. Yeah. He quietly says... You Your orders a, are. You you got a choice to make here. Um, you know, take her into... And they, they go with him, you know, thankfully. Which means... He's a Cylon. No, it means she's a Cylon. So her whole thing, <laughs> the, the Master at Arms is the 12th Cylon. The 12th? I, th- I think I was uh, up to 12. I have to pull up my list now. But uh, she she's a Cylon. She's She is just now, it's clear that she was just out to foment discord, distrust, tear down the whole entire societal structure of what humanity has left. She's either a, a Baltarish melodrama villain twisting her mustache and just out to do you know make something for herself or she's a silent i'm going with the latter okay uh she couldn't just be a misguided person oh, who got she, some power and uh, she's silent number 11 number 11 yeah okay uh okay the tyrell breaks off the affair yes choosing duty over love Finally. And Boomer behaves completely irrationally and yes. irresponsibly. And that's well, the point. Well, she's a which... scorned woman. Scorned lovers don't like to be told. I, I suppose. I but... can't be with you anymore. 
it's her Cylon programming kicking in, saying, no, you have to do whatever you can to manipulate this human. Yes. Because, <laughs> because for some reason. always act rationally when emotions and love are involved. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the other boomer for a second who's on okay. Caprica. Um, uh, Hilo. <clears throat> I, I love what they did cinematically. Yeah. With uh, Hilo watching the rat. He's just kind of looking at this rat. He's, you know, kind of feeling dejected a little bit. And then we pan back and we have the Cylons watching Hilo. Yeah. Hilo is the rat in a maze here who's being observed. And I loved the way that they (laughs) portrayed that. It was fantastic. Okay. Um, so he but. decides to, <laughs> but what? I I just, like I said, when we were watching this episode earlier, thank goodness no one ever looks up <laughs> because they are standing there in plain view of Hilo. If he were to glance upward even a little bit, he's going to say, huh, look at that. There's three people standing there watching me. Oh, one of them is Sharon. <laughs> what would have been funny, uh, would make for a great comedy is for Hilo to look up and they're all like, oh. Uh, and then it's like you know, running around Dude, in like circles the, around each other, and then the just, Benny Hill thing, just dropping down. Like, oh, maybe he won't see us. <laughs> um, anyway, so he he goes looking for her, fights down uh, a Cylon, and finds Boomer. Yes, beaten, senseless. Can I just say, watching number six beat the living daylights out of Boomer was a lot of fun. <laughs> I enjoyed that. For some reason, I am, I just, I, you know, we go back to, uh, Baltar talking to Kara and the Cylon being there hanging around for that and then following him out and they have a little conversation out in the hallway, um, where Baltar is, Thinking about blowing up the Cylon detector, killing the project before it's ever even finished. And she grabs him by the throat and tells him, you know, you're going to do what I told you to do. So but she, didn't grab, she like runs him into the wall, but she has her hand around his throat. I don't remember that, but okay. okay. She, um, she scares the man. Yes. Senseless. So again, I, we see. This number six does not necessarily want the Cylons to win. Sometimes she seems to, and other times she doesn't. So I still feel like there are two competing personalities here. But I've started to wonder if it's maybe an actual split in the personality of number six. Hmm. Is there actually a split personality going on here where there's a part of number six that became too human kind of went native so to speak interesting interesting and, but it, you know it, there's a little divide there in the personality where when she's being rational and she's thinking through oh you know the the cylons need to destroy humans or we need to not completely wipe them out but at least harass them to the point that they'll do everything we want them to do or need them to do um when she's doing that then she is kind of the evil cylon number 6 but when things are quiet and when it's just her and and Gaius or when she's just trying to lead him along gently, then, then we get the, 
the Cylon, <laughs> the number six that went native. Did uh, Did you notice that they, when they walk out of the hospital room, they're holding hands? Yeah. And then walking down the hallway, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, that you know, he's the the mental whatever that's going on. Yeah, uh, you know that he's he's holding her hand. So uh, along it, the way. It, she she's got complete control of this guy. I, I like. I'm starting to actually think there's. It's not a projection. It's not a chip. <laughs> because at several points, the way she physically interacts with with Gaius strongly indicates that there's actually something there exerting physical pressure on Gaius. Like all the all the sexual stuff that's come before these couple episodes, I can say, oh, you know what? It's just it's just a daydream. It's imagining. But in the previous episode. When Gaius is talking to the president and she puts her foot up on top of his hand, it causes him pain. Like he moves his hand and he's like, ow, like she stepped on it. So is she really there? I don't know. Like, is there I some sort of technology that it's allowing? Like a cloaking? I, I don't know. So there know. is a chip in there, but the chip is really only allowing Gaius to be able to see her. I don't know. I don't know. I'm like I'm I'm torn right now. I, the the possibility that I've been toying with is that the chip is not just allowing him to see and hear her, but it's actually wired deeply into his neural net, and they can even potentially make him do things. You know, when she threatens him, she's like, "You're going to do exactly what I tell you to do. You don't want to see me when I'm angry." That seemed to me a clear indication of threat of I can make you do things or I can do things to you. You say neural net when talking about Gaius Baltar. Yes, yes. Are you suggesting he's a Cylon? No, I'm suggesting that human beings have a neural net, which we do. <laughs> so it makes us conscious. I thought it was our souls that did that. <laughs> uh, I don't you have call it a else. soul, I'll call it a neural net. Um Baltar is trying to get in Kara's pants, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like, like I don't... Weird character stretch for what we saw well, no, in I mean, the miniseries. I, I, I didn't ever think that he was physically attracted to Kara until she went missing. And number six makes the joke. You know, you're never going to get to find out if she's a natural blonde or not. And that seemed to be the point at which he started to think of her as a sexual object. Which I thought was very interesting that number six, who wants him to love her, would do something that induces him to think of another woman in a sexual way, <laughs> where it wasn't already happening. <laughs> the show is killing me. <laughs> like, you can ask Dee Dee next, when she gets here tomorrow to pick me up. We end every episode, and I just hold my head in my hands, say, ah, none of my theories are making sense anymore. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> Because I can't change them because nothing else makes any more sense than the ones I have. <laughs> Just, you know what? Go along for the ride. I don't know how to do that. Um, the, the only other comment I had was... Uh, it just seemed odd that Hilo didn't realize that the the rescue of Sharon was way too easy. Like, the Cylon walks up behind him, could have shot him at any moment, and instead... 
knocks him to the ground towards his gun. <laughs> just like that whole. Well, I don't si- know. You gotta you gotta remember in this situation. You know his adrenaline's gonna be up pretty high. He may not be processing. Okay, it yet. maybe he'll come to it later. Okay. Might maybe. Good point. Listener comments. Yes. Yeah, and at this point, he's got no reason to not trust. No, that just seemed Sharon. weird. Okay. Normal people don't automatically mistrust everything like <laughs> you. It was Fair the enough. nicest way I could say Fair that. enough. <laughs> Brainy says, so this is their drumhead episode. We see some of uh, early movements. Uh, oh, sh- we see some early moments prove the vastness of Saul and Bill's friendship. And did you see how Saul still wears his wedding ring? Despite burning a hole in her face in the miniseries, he must still love her. We also learn that the old man's old man was a lawyer on Caprica. Maybe the courtroom will show up again. The old man's ending of the investigation is priceless. This, after confessing confessing to Sergeant Panties in a bunch, (laughs) that he, as he puts it, I'm a soft touch. Great line. Well, he is not a soft touch when it comes to protecting the fleet, especially from itself. This is an okay episode, but great ending. The Hilo story is also starting to take off and seems like Caprica Boomer may be starting to feel conflicted. So we still know of four out of the 12 skin job models. One thing that struck me in this episode was that the Cylons do not have the ability to create new skin job models. Otherwise, they would have by now. The, this limitation of the Cylons got me thinking about whether the Apocalypse programmers and the skin job builders are separate entities or not. Sci-Fi 6, TV 7. Oh my gosh, yeah. You know, I actually had this idea rattling around in the back of my head. Why do the Cylons, I think I even mentioned it, why do the Cylons want humans to love them? They need humans to create new models. They can't, they can't generate new models. They have the 12 that they have mm. and they're stuck and they need humanity that's what that's what the plan is. That's what they need humans for. They can't make the other new... eight Cylon models. No, no, no. They have the other eight. They, they, so they have these twelve models plus the toaster and the spaceships. What they can't do is create new models of human-like Cylons. New models. They can't create new models. So they're stuck at these twelve that they've got, and they want more. And they ha- they must have had some humans working with them who actually managed to create the diversity, they are not capable of self-procreating. They can clone themselves, but they cannot create new models. That's what they need humanity for. That's their Hmm. plan. Interesting. That makes total sense. Joey's final five. Okay. Number one, I mentioned programming and skin job hardware. What other limitations do the Cylons clearly face? Well, clearly they can't <laughs> create new models. <laughs> um, what other limitations do they clearly face? Well, they seem to be, for the most part, biological beings that rely on oxygen. I mean, we've seen that with the Raidership and things like that. Um, 
there I still feel like there's some kind of schism in Cylonic society. Something's going on there. If there weren't a schism, humanity would be wiped out by now. I just don't think we survived this long without some forces within Cylonic society being on our side. Hmm. So I'm going to say that, that, that cultural split that's going on. I don't know. I don't know who's on what side at this point, <laughs> but I, I think that there, it's clear that there are, are factions within Cylonic society that want humanity around, and other factions that just want them all wiped out, get rid of them. Uh, we see the conversation between Number Six and uh, not Aldous Huxley, <laughs> the, the PR Cylon, um, where you know the, she she feels remorse for what happened to humanity. And he feels absolutely none and says, nah, that's what's supposed to happen. That's that's how the child takes over from the parent. Okay, interesting. Number two, Boomerbot mentions that Hilo always does the right thing, that he is a good man. What other characters do you think you will be able to say this about throughout the series? Always does the right thing. From whose perspective? Um, because I, I would say Adama always does the right thing, but okay. from his perspective, we may not necessarily agree with him on what is right in a given situation. Um, but see, I'm not convinced that Hilo always does the right thing either because sending Baltar, up I in think the fleet, you're overcomplicating the question. All right. Uh, Commander Adama, Gata. Billy. No, Billy's a Cylon. <laughs> Just those two. Okay. All right. Interesting. Number three. In Litmus, one of the chief's subordinates covered for him by mentioning a pickup game of Pyramid. In the original series, Pyramid was the card game they played. Okay. In this series, Pyramid is a sports, uh, is a sport that is play that is like basketball rugby how joey do you think ron moore will weave pyramid into the unfolding stories of battlestar galactica a former pyramid star turns out to be among the survivors of the fleet the, among the fleet somewhere in the the citizenry and it turns out that he is a Cylon. Okay, interesting. Number four. Way back before the Overlords decided to cover Battlestar Galactica, I accidentally spoiled that there will be one or two trials in the later seasons. Who will be involved and how? <laughs> um... President Rosalind is going to be brought up on charges. Um, I didn't talk about this in the episode, but she makes this comment at one point. When, it's when Adama comes to her saying, you know what? I think it's time we come out and tell the public about the human-looking Cylons. And she makes this comment about, you know, openness and the the political process and all these things may sound great, but in reality, they can cause a lot of problems. I think that is going to come back to haunt her. Like I actually made a note of that in my notes. I didn't bring it up, but 
I, I thought, boy, that's going to come back on her at some point. The fact that she doesn't actually trust the people that she is supposed to be leading. Um, that's going to become an issue over the course of the series. So I think that is probably one of the cases we'll see. And then you're going to see the trial that shows that Boomer, Cheryl, Billy, Dwala are all Cylons. Okay. Interesting. Number five. The old man mentions to Saul in 33 that he looks to be in great shape. Maybe he is a Cylon. Maybe he is not. But what his, uh, this comment truly indicates is that Saul thrives in chaotic situations. Or they are, uh, or they are where he is at his best. That is why I think he drinks. So name two future chaotic situations where we will see Saul kick some butt. Um, Commander Adama and the President are both elsewhere for some reason, and a Cylon attack comes, and he has to lead the fleet. Uh, there for one episode. Okay. And and somehow they're able to either fight to a stalemate or flee or he's a, he's able to kind of save all of humanity there for one for one episode. And was I supposed to give two? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um his wife is among the survivors. And that comes to light at like the worst possible time militarily. And he has to deal with that and with some military situation. Okay. Interesting. Uh, you dudes are super awesome Rific. Ambassador <laughs> Brainy Smurf. Okay, Brainy, thanks so much, man. Uh, always a champ sending in emails even when I don't manage to send them out to the rest of you. Um, okay. You didn't even ask me to do it. You just knew I'd do it wrong badly enough that it wasn't even worth asking. What? You didn't ask me to send out an email. Uh, I didn't even remember to, <laughs> to to get to it. Like I remembered early this morning, but I was like, ah, I don't have time to deal with this. So that's why I just okay. sent out the tweet in Facebook. Pete, how about your science fiction rating? Six. Same here. Not much to say. Television? Six. Six, too. Yeah. The, uh, we have three deaths in this episode from the bomb. So the current tally of humanity is 47,956, as far as we know. Well, that brings us to the end of another podcast. We hope that you've been inspired to take a deeper look at your entertainment choices. And discuss it with friends, family, or just a couple of complete strangers you only know from the internet. As always, we invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. You can tweet Pete at trekwest5, or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 801-508-4242. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And we thank you for listening. It's good to see you again. So good to see you again.